I guess I'm going to read the passage for today. <laughs> um, 1 Peter 3, 8 through 22. Finally, all of you should be of one mind. Sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tender-hearted and keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do, and he will grant you his blessing. For the scriptures say, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. Now, who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you suffer from doing what is right, God you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Remember, it is better to suffer for doing good if that is what God wants than to suffer for doing wrong. Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the spirit. So he went and preached to the spirits in prison, those who disobeyed God long ago when God waited patiently while Noah was building his boat. Only eight people were saved from drowning in that terrible flood. And that water is a picture of baptism, which now saves you, not by removing dirt from your body, but as a response to God from a clean conscience. It is effective because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, Christ has gone to heaven. He is seated in the place of honor next to God, and all the angels and authorities and powers accept his authority. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Um, would you pray with me as they, um, we transition to our time of worship? Father, I just thank you, Lord, for um, the truth of who you are. God, I... I, I um, it just was impressed upon me even early this morning again um, that if we would just believe you are who you say you are and that you've done what you've done and that you will do what you say you're going to do, man, we would, we would live so much more differently in this present age. So it'd help us to be a people who believe what we read, really down deep in our souls believe it, and may it conform us into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Hey, I'm going to start with a quote this morning. It's from a book um, that came out about 10 years ago called The Insanity of God. I brought it for a friend of mine who has a real passion for the persecuted church. And so I'm going to give this to you now to get it, if you want to pass it back there to um, so it get, get it out of my way. But um, in it, the author, whose name was Nick Ripkin, it's not his real name, um, said this. Am I still mic'd? Okay, it doesn't sound like it. Okay. It says this, the gospel does not go forward in spite of persecution. Quite the contrary, throughout history and around the globe, it explodes as a result of persecution. Suffering is one of God's ordained means for the growth of his church. He brought salvation to a world through Christ, our suffering Savior. And he now spreads salvation in a world through Christians as suffering saints. In the words of Paul, all who desire to live God, a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Clearly, there is a sense in which the danger of our lives increases in proportion to the depth of our relationship with Christ. 
And the greatest danger to our new life in Christ is placing comfort ahead of Christ-likeness. Preaching the beauty of Christ crucified, even in the face of being persecuted, is our greatest witness to a watching world. So we're in this series that we're calling Stand Firm as hope-filled foreigners, and we're in 1 Peter, so open up your Bibles to 1 Peter, but we're talking about different ways that the gospel compels us to stand firm. And I'm not going to review everywhere we have been, but I will say that today what we are talking about is how do we stand firm in our witness? And we're going to be in um, chapter 3, the second half of chapter 3 of 1 Peter. 1 Peter is towards the end of your Bible. Remember, it was written at a time when Christians were being persecuted in ways that nobody, and I'm saying this, I'm not speaking in hyperbole, this is truth. Christians in the time of Peter were being persecuted in ways that nobody on the planet right now is experiencing. Not even in the most persecuted parts of the world, which are really experiencing persecution in ways that we, we think persecution is someone doesn't like our Facebook posts about Jesus, right? That is not persecution. There is real persecution going on on the planet right now, but it was way worse in Peter's time. 30 years after Christ dies, it was already way worse. But we have convinced ourselves that somehow it is worse now. Christianity is worse now, worse off now than it's ever been. That is simply a lie from Satan to discourage and distract us. The only places in the world where it isn't better is, is where we've gotten soft because we've had it so easy. The gospel is winning everywhere in the world except in the West. It's, it's just craziness. And we have got to change that thinking. So the, the big question for today is, how are you doing as a witness of his witness? Right here, right now. Because guys, if the gospel is needed anywhere in the world right now, it's needed in our country. And I mean, and not so that we'll have some national revival, it's because we have millions of people living among us who are going to spend eternity apart from us and Christ. Great. One of the greatest mission fields in America, and, and that makes, makes it one of the greatest mission fields in the world, is in churches every Sunday. Because we're preaching this watered-down Jesus in a watered-down gospel. And we have got to get past that. We have got to get back to preaching Christ crucified. So we're going to look at the second half of our passage or of, of Matthew, um, sorry, of 1 Peter chapter 3. And what this passage is going to help us answer the question of how am I doing as a witness of his witness? Here is how Peter is describing what a witness would look like. Are you known as a, pers- as a peace pursuer? Have you, are you known for being gentle and respectful? And are Are you living in the power of his grace? Now, before I jump into the passage in chapter 3, I want to remind you, because part of what we're working on is how how did I get to this this message, this question, these points? Well, it's because all of chapter 3 flows out of what we learned about in chapter 2. It's part of why I like the pace with which we teach things at Cornerstone, rather than spending like 
four months going through, or we could spend four months going through this letter. We're going to spend like 10 weeks on it. Because we, if you spend too long on any piece of scripture, you can almost start to forget the, the, the connectedness that the author of the script of scripture wanted us to have. Remember, I, I talked a little bit about in our training time last week about how what, one of the things we want to ask is, context is king, that's, but one of the things we want to ask is, what does the Bible say? What did God mean for it to say when the Holy Spirit inspired Peter to write it? Not what do we think it says, not what are, we, what are we comfortable with it saying, what did God mean for it to say? Because there was a point to it when he inspired Peter to write it. And the points we're going to look at today flow out of verses 11 and 12 of chapter 2. So look at those. It says, Behold, I urge you as sojourners, sorry, as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the fleshly, from passions of the flesh, flesh which war against your soul. So he's saying, remember, this is not your home. You're just passing through. Live differently. Here's how it looks. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And we talked about how the day of visitation is not Christ's second coming. It is when the Holy Spirit visits a person to save them. Because we don't save them. The Holy Spirit does. So So he's saying, keep your behavior good among the unbelieving world, so that when the Holy Spirit steps into someone's life, they, they, they are led to Christ through you. And then he goes through and he starts in, chapter, in, in, in um, the second half of chapter 2 and then in chapter 3, outlining what does that look like. The first part in chapter 3, verse 13, and we talked about this, was how, does, how, how are we supposed to live as citizens in a society, in a government that is becoming increasingly hostile? How are we to live? Then he talks in verse 18 about how are we to do that as servants. You can take the word servants there, and in, and in the context of the people Paul or Peter is writing to, it would, it would be like employees in a sense. It would be far more like an employee than a slave because the servants he's speaking of were indentured servants. They were, they were implied in the fact that he's speaking to the servants tells you that these are not what we would think of as slaves. There were slaves back then, but that's not who he's addressing. He's addressing, he's saying, guys, if, if you're an employee living in your employer's home, right, but you're an employee, here's how you are to live. And then he moves on and he talks about, and this is what Jeff taught on last week, then he talks about these relationships, wives, husbands. It's very much like what Paul does. And he's going he's gonna to keep going here, look at verses 8 and 9, and he's going to say, guys, here is what it looks like to fulfill this, this, the, this idea of, of, of verses 11 and 12. So, I'm just, so here's what he's saying. And he's saying, and it's, by the way, it's going to be hard. Look at verse 8 of chapter 3. Finally, all of you with unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. Guys, we read through and we prayed through Psalm 34. What did the psalmist, King David, where did he get his sense of strength? From where was he drawing it from? What was he, who was he drawing it from? From who? Was, who, was he drawing it from the fact that he was king? No, he was drawing it from God. He was saying, because I know that there's a God who is in control, and in the end, he is the one who will make everything right. 
I can be this person God has called me to be. And that's ultimately what Peter is trying to tell us here. Guys, verse, when he says, on the contrary, bless, for this is what you've been called to. Guys, what have we been called to do as Christians, according to Peter? I haven't even gotten to the first point yet. What are we called to do? Persevere? Just persevere. Are we, I mean, in other words, like, like huddle up and build a bunker and just, and just ride this thing out. What are we called to do? It's right, it's right there. What are we called to do? Bless. Guys, you're asleep today. Come on, wake up. Like, so I, 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 Lord, I'm praying right now, as I have been praying all morning, there is a heaviness in this room. Um, I know what it is. It's spiritual attack. It's in my own mind. It's why I stopped when I did. Lord, I want to pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would compel Satan out of here. He does not like what we, what we are talking about today. Lord, I want to pray that you would wake up my brothers and sisters in Christ, that they would behold wonderful things from your truth in Jesus' name. Come on, guys. We're in a fight. We are. If you're not feeling it right now, you're not alive. Like, we need to talk afterwards. Like, seriously talk, because there is something spiritually wrong with you if you're not feeling that we're in a fight. Right? Like, like you're not saved. I'm just going to say it. If you don't feel the fight, you're not in it. That ought to terrify some of you. I don't even remember where I was. It's okay. Guys, we are, thank you, Kim. <laughs> and you just did. We are called to bless. Guys, we need, to, we need to filter everything we're hearing today through that idea that we are, we are called not to persevere, not just to persevere. This is not a book about how to deal with suffering. This is a book about how to be like Christ in the midst of suffering. That is God's end game. You're going to hear me say it over and over today and in the coming weeks. God's goal for your life is not your comfort. It is conformity to Christ. We do not enter into glory looking like Jesus without scars. Put those things together. Right? That, that if, if the goal is Christ-likeness and Christ was scarred, how can we enter into glory unless we have been scarred? And, and, we have to, and, and in order to be scarred in ways that really matter, you have to be engaged in relationship. You cannot be hunkered down and huddled up. It just doesn't work. It does not, it's, not, it's not what Jesus did. Okay, so with that, how is your witness doing at showing, or sorry, how is your witness showing Christ's witness with you? Let's look at our first point. We're going to pick it up starting in verse 10, and we're going to look at, are you known as a peace pursuer? Are you known as a peace pursuer? He says this in verse 10. For whoever desires to love life, and see, and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Guys, that should sound really familiar to you because you've already heard it twice today. He is, Peter is quoting Psalm 34, which we read and prayed through. That's part of why we picked that as the passage today. Paul, or Peter picked it. He said, so if, if you want to have a good life, here's what it looks like. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Guys, if you are a Christian, as Christians, we are to be people of peace. Isaiah said it himself. He said, in repentance and rest, 
You are in, in repentance and trust. I can blank on what, how it goes. Let me just turn there. So I don't know why I'm blanking on it. In Psalm 30, he says, he says, For thus says the Lord, in returning and rest you will be saved. In quietness and trust is your strength. Guys, as we will be known for being Christians by being people of peace. How do I know that? Because when Jesus sends out the 70, which Peter was probably one of at the time, when he sends them out, remember what he says to them? He says, when you go into a house, what do you say? Peace be to this house. If a man of peace is there, the peace will rest upon him. If there's not a man, in other words, if there's not one there to receive the message of the gospel, trust me, it's going to get thrown back in your face. What are you supposed to do? Shake the dust off your sandals and move on. You're not supposed to stop telling people peace. You're supposed to just shake the dust off your sandals. But here's the problem. Here's what the church has done today. We have gotten to a point where we can't even... We can't even get in the front door and say, peace be to this house, because the, because the world, much of it has been promoted by an, 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 uh, an anti-gospel culture, but much of it has been earned by a church that doesn't share the love of Christ well. We have become known as sandal shakers. We are already shaking the dust off of our sandals before we even proclaim the peace. And then we're wondering why the, the world doesn't want to hear our message. Right, we, we can't, guys, do you remember what, what he said? Like, like, I mean, this, these are the words of Jesus. Go and say, peace be to this house. Right, we are the light of the world, he says. We are the salt of the earth. So we have to get better at proclaiming God's peace. And then it says, for the eyes of the Lord, now, now just to sort of drive the point home, look at this. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and the ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Guys, I want to ask you a question. When you, re- when you heard that earlier in the psalm, all the times that we heard it, and when you hear it here now in Peter's, the eyes of the Lord are, are but he is against those who do evil. How many of you in your mind had those people in your mind? Don't raise your hand. This time, don't raise your hand. Sorry, I got a little passionate about raising your hand earlier. Don't, I just, I, we need to be a responsive church. Like, we're not spectators. If you come to Cornerstone, you are here to participate, right? So, so how many of us think of those people? Those people, whatever those people are, they could be the, uh, the people that think differently than you politically. They could be people that think differently than you culturally. They could be the Black Lives Matter movement. They could be what, whatever your thing is that you are, like, feeling like is against you and against the gospel. Fill in the blank. That's not who Peter's talking about. Peter is speaking to people in the church. Right? So here's the peop- here are the people that, are, that God is against. Its context is king. Right? Verse 12 is in the context of verses 10 and 11. Verses 10 and 11 tell you who the evil people are. The people who let their tongues speak evil. The people who do not seek peace and pursue it. That those are the two, the two groups he's talking about. So here's my question. Does your social media feed promote peace? Does your text thread promote peace? Are the emails you're sending to people peace pursuing? It's just the conversations you're having. Are they speaking words of grace and truth and love? Are they promoting peace? Or are they speaking about what you're against? Because the two people Peter's talking about in verse 12, he's saying those people that are all about what they're against are not of the house of God. 
the people that are telling people, and guys, this is, and again, you're going to hear me say this a lot. We have got to get better at helping people see who we stand for, not what we stand against. Guys, what is going to win the day? This, what's going to win the day is not fighting the way the world fights. What's going to win back the day is gentleness and love and listening and sharing truth. So this was on the cafeteria. We're in a new cafeteria now, much smaller. But this was on the cafeteria in the school we used to meet in before the shutdown happened a, a year ago. Before you speak, before you post, before you text, before you email, think. Is it true? Is it helpful? Here's the big one. Because some of us, I can do this, guys, I'm, speaking to the, I'm preaching to the choir. Some of us can do this really well. I can convince myself, yeah, of course it's true, I'm standing for God's truth here. God is against, and, I, and I'm not going to say whatever the things are, because right away, some of you will be, well, that's all you'll focus on. Oh, Doug's against this, or Doug thinks that, or whatever. I, just whatever your deal is. I, I, oh, yeah, it's true. Of course it's true. It's helpful, because I'm trying to help these people see the light. I mean, duh. Everybody's supposed to think this way. Is it inspiring? Are you gonna, in how you're sharing it, is there any shot you're going to actually inspire someone to go, oh, I have never seen that before. Like, seriously. Wow, thank you. Thank you for loving me so well that you called me a bunch of names as you were telling me how ridiculous my thinking was. Right? Is it necessary? You don't, write this down, you don't have to join every argument you're invited into. You don't. Guys, it is not your personal calling to refute everything that's going on in the world that's anti-gospel. It is your call. It is exactly your calling to promote the gospel. Stand for who you stand for, not what you stand against. Guys, if we would just get better, guys, guys, if we would embrace, I'm just telling you right now, we've been praying for revival in this church for two years. We're seeing glimpses of it. Revival is not bigger Here's what revival is. Revival is where, whenever and wherever the Holy Spirit shows up, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, which I probably could practice that last one a little better today. The, guys, the fruit of the, the revival, I'm telling you, if we would embrace what this, what this letter is telling us, and specifically today and in the coming weeks as he wraps this whole idea up. Because frankly, the last three chapters, or the last two and a half chapters, are Peter's conclusion to a letter. If we would embrace this as a body, we, I'm telling you, with everything in me, I believe we will see revival happen that will change our community. I, I believe that with everything in me. And I'm just going to leave it there. Okay, so, how is your witness, speaking of witness? So the first thing is, are you known as a peace pursuer? The second thing is, are you known for gentleness and respect? Look at what he says in verse 13. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Now, because I'm behind the time today already, and because 
frankly, he's, Peter is going to drive this point home of being blessed, of, of when you're persecuted, you're blessed. In the second half of chapter 4 and in the first half of chapter 5, you're going to hear two full messages on this idea of what Jesus says in Matthew. It really all flows out of what Peter heard Jesus say on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5. So I'm just going to read it, and then we'll keep going. He says, Blessed are those who, are, who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. And again, I'm, I'm, I'm really fighting the urge to, to elaborate on this, but we will in the coming weeks. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in, it, for, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The question is, do we believe what Jesus said there? Do we really believe that? And again, I, I want so badly to keep going, but I'm not going to. But, but he's, saying, he's saying that you are blessed when you are persecuted. Now, now let's pick it up in, in, in this next part, the second half of verse 14. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. He's saying don't have fear. Because remember what persecution was. They were being dipped in oil, speared through, and lit on fire as lamps for like we'll see this, like Peter specifically addresses it in chapter four, like for garden parties. That's and he's saying, and you're blessed when that happens because your reward because he's remembering because I, I believe what Jesus said to me. My reward in heaven will be great. Now let's keep going. He says, he says, have no fear of them nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ as the Lord is holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Guys, I'm asking you a question. I'm asking you to raise your hand this time. How many of you, when we started First Peter, would say that First Peter 3.15 was probably... The, the, the one verse in it that you might actually have known. Always be prepared to give a defense for the hope that you have in you. How many of you would say that, that I knew that verse? Even if I didn't know it was from 1 Peter, that was the verse I, I've heard of before. How many of you would say that? Always, okay, me too, for a long time. It, it, it then became 1 Peter 2.9, for you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. That has become my favorite verse. But here's the, here's the thing. That, that how many, I said, so how many of you would say 315 was, your, was the verse you knew? How many of you only knew this part? Always be prepared to give a defense. And how many of you maybe went, well, yeah, but I'm, I'm getting older and I'm getting more gentle, softer in different areas. And so I, I, at, least, I, at least I added this. Always be prepared to give a defense for the hope that I have, because that sounds better. Now, hope, right? What, what is the, the subtitle of our whole series? Living as hope-filled foreigners. So absolutely, be, be prepared to give a defense for the hope that we have. Guys, here's the, the word hope, or, I'm sorry, the word defense in 1 Peter, um, Peter 3.15 is apologia in Greek. It's where we get the word apologetics. Apologetics is making a defense of the truth that you believe. Apologetics is not just a Christian thing. You can be an apologist for anything. Richard, Richard Hawkins, Dave, which, Richard Dawkins, he's an he was an apologist for evolution, right? You can be an apologist for anything. Here's the problem in Christianity, 
And it flows out of where many of us either were or still are. Be prepared to give a defense. We think defense means argument, and it did not mean that. And it does not mean that. No one has ever been argued into the kingdom of God. And if we believe that our number one calling is to bless people who, even though even the ones that are treating us poorly, by sharing the good news of Jesus, we cannot get there from an argument. Does not mean there's not a place for apologetics in Christianity. Here's, here's what it means. We have to apologize. We have to apologeticize. We have to be apologists differently. We have to lead. It's what Paul did in, in, the, in, the, in his sermon on, on Mars Hill. We have to lead from sharing the truth. Guys, think, just think about this in the context of the last year. Whether it's COVID issues, masks, no vaccines, vaccines, no vaccines, whether it's racial issues, critical race theory, Black Lives Matter, whatever it is, whether it's um, political issues, Democrat, Republican, stole the election, whatever, whatever your thing is, how much of any of those arguments have ever presented why they have led from and stayed with, here's why my thinking is better. Because that's what apologetics is supposed to be. Apologetics is supposed to be why we're changing the name of our church to cross-train, training people to teach God's truth. It is supposed to be about teaching God's truth, not refuting the error. There's a time and a place for that, and Scripture does call us to that at times within the church. But, our pri- but the primary focus of apologetics is for us to be able to tell people why what we believe about Jesus is better. I wrote this in my journal this week. Guys, we have to get way better at showing Jesus as the better way. We have to get way better at showing Jesus as the better way. But what we are known for and what we've earned is here's why what you think about LBGTQ issues are, is wrong. Here's why what we believe about what is marriage is wrong. Here's what we all those other things I just listed is wrong. Guys, I, I believe in a biblical view of marriage. I would never do a wedding except between one man and one woman. Right? I believe gender is decided by God at birth. I'm not going to lead there with people that I know are struggling with those issues that don't know Christ. That's not being a good apologist for Jesus. It is slamming the door shut. before It is shaking the dust off your feet before you even can say, peace be to this house. Guys, we need to lead with peace. We need, guys, you say, okay, that sounds good. Maybe you're comfortable with that, but, but I'm here to preach the truth, and God's gifted me with that because I'm a gift of prophecy person, and I just, that's what my job. Take it up with Peter. Take it up with Jesus. Guys, think about this for a minute. Man, I'm sorry. Um, think, think, about, think, about this, think about this for a minute. How many arguments do you ever see Jesus get in? Oh, but wait a minute, Doug. He turned, he went over and turned. You guys are glad I'm not doing that, huh? He turned the money, the table over. Guys, first of all, you're not Jesus. But, 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 but even aside from that, he's called us to be little, little Christ, Christ-like. What, 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 guys, who is he arguing with? The Pharisees. The only arguments Jesus ever enters into are with religious people. 
do you ever see him arguing with the Romans? Guys, the Romans didn't all of a sudden get worse after Jesus died. They were horrible to the Jewish people. They were horrible to Jesus when he was alive. He loved them, healed them anyway. He didn't go, you're not part of God's chosen people, I'm sorry. He healed them. In fact, when the centurion, centurion comes to him and says, hey, my you know, Savior or my servant is hurt, and, and he's like, just, but if you just say the word, I know he'll be healed. Jesus is like, Wow. I have not seen faith like this even among God's people. And here this pagan knows that I can speak and it will happen. He still can. He still does. We just have to live like it. Guys, Jesus didn't enter into debates with people in the world. He loved them. And they killed him for it. And that is what he's called us to do. Like it or not, love undeserving people without asking the question, do they deserve it? And even if they reject you, even if they call you a bunch of names, even if they drive by you really fast and give you the middle finger saying you're number one because you have a cross-train emblem on the back of your car. Blessed am I. Blessed am I. Right? That's what we need to believe. I loved how Zach prayed it, then Josh prayed it afterwards. I wrote this down. The most effective evangelism takes place when people ask wonderingly, why are you so different? And the answer is Jesus. Guys, I, I, won't, I don't have time to share the story. This is what brought my brother to Christ a few years ago as a 50-year-old man. Watching us behave differently, not between each other even, but watching how we interacted with people out in the world. He was like, I just watched how nice you were to all these people. And I'm, and I'm pleased, I'm, eh, I'm not always nice out in the world. But he's like, I just saw how differently you responded to your waiters, to the lady at the checkout stand, to the, and, and I asked myself why. And he, and he wrote this, in, and of course, I knew it was because of Christ. And he, and he came to faith. Guys, we are, that's what's going to win back the culture. That's what's going to win back your family. Not arguing with them about whether masks are ridiculous or not. That is not going to win anybody. If you think it's just me and you think it's just Peter, Paul says it this way, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to who? Everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents in gentleness. Why? God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. And that's the big why behind all of this. Guys, Understand this, and, and, and I'm so all over the place, I don't even know where I'm supposed to be, but, but understand this. In how Peter wrote this, there, this part that we're in, so if you go back to where we were in verse 15, well, yeah, in verse 15, we think of make a defense for the hope. There's only one command in this whole passage, and you know what it is? Honor Christ as Lord. So is your argument honoring Christ? Is your social media post honoring Christ? Is your text message honoring Christ? Is your conversation honoring Christ? 
That's the command in this passage. Not make a defense. You know why we know make a defense? Because, man, we like to argue. We like to make a defense. We don't want to honor Christ. Right? But look at what he says. And then he says this, and then he says, oh, and by the way, do it with gentleness and respect. Do it with gentleness and respect. Guys, I'll say it one more time, and then we'll finish up with our last point. We do not enter into glory looking like Christ, which is God's end game for each and every one of us as believers, without getting scarred. So embrace the scars. You look more beautiful. There have been times in our 10 years in ministry, well, 15 years in ministry, 10 years in, this, in, the, in planting the church, that I've had to talk some of us off the ledge of leaving the ministry because we've been scarred a lot because that's what happens when you step up, right? It's our quote in the beginning. And I said to some of them, <laughs> we could leave. I could go back into education or something and we would eventually lose everything that is beautiful about our family. Now we have to really believe that and so do you because you've been scarred too. Okay, so how is my witness be speaking of his of our witness together so one are you known as a peace pursuer two are you known for gentleness and respect and the last thing is are you known for living in the power of grace and and this i the lord just took this in a very different direction even in my time this morning so it doesn't even match my powerpoint necessarily and how everything broke down but i want to pick it up um starting in verse 17 look at what he says for it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will for you. Because here's the, So here's the big why of our witness, speaking of our witness. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the, righteousness, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he may bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. He's, he's going back to what he talked about in chapter 2, verses 21 through 25. Look at verses, I'm not going to read it all, but look at, just, look at chapter 2, verse 21. For to this you have been called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example. And he goes on till the end of the chapter, talking about how, and we, and we taught through it already, talking about how we need to suffer, we need to live willing to suffer for undeserving people, because that's what Christ did. Right? That's the bottom line. So that's, what, that's part of what it looks like to live in the power of the gospel. Now let's keep going. Verse 19. And he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formally did not obey. Now, guys, I'm going to tell you right up front, and I don't have time to do it today, all of it today, and that's okay. This, these last few verses are some of the most misunderstood and ripped out of context verses in all of the New Testament. Here's the first one. When he says in verse 19 in which he proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formally did not obey. Here's what some, Mormonism is one of them, but not the only one, they believe that we, and then he goes on, he'll go on and talk about in the, rest of the, in the rest of the chapter, baptism. This is where they get the concept of the baptism of the dead. Okay, if, if we can, it's, it's also part of where like the Catholic religion gets some of their beliefs on purgatory it's this idea that there's this place where people go and they can be pulled out of later guys that is not what peter's talking about how do i know context context is king look at verse 19 in which he proclaimed to the spirits in prison peter immediately tells us who he's talking about he says 
Because they formally did not obey. Who's the they? That's the question. When God's patiently waited for them in the days of Noah, there's the they. He's telling us who the they are. They're the people that were alive watching Noah build the boat. But wait a minute. How did he preach to them? Here's how he preached to them. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Guys, this gospel message has always been, from the, from the time of before Noah, it was about Jesus. He's saying the good news that God saves was brought to them, and they didn't. Jesus, not the, not the incarnate Christ, the pre-incarnate Christ, was brought to them by the Word of God, and they ignored it. That's ultimately what he's saying. You say, how do I know that? Because when you keep going, and this is because I, it was, this is all just this morning, the Lord revealed this to me, so now I'm like, okay. Because if you keep going, look at what he says. He says, he says that, wow, so, so these are the people that God patiently waited for. So one, there's, there's God's heart, and Peter in 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow about fulfilling his promises, as some count slowness, but he is patient towards you. Not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. That's 2 Peter 3.9. 2 Peter 3.9, mark it down. That's God's heart. He wants none to perish. He wants all to come to repentance. Right? That's his heart. He's saying, I'm a, that's why he's not coming back yet, guys. There are some of you in this room that need to get right with Christ so that he'll come back. I'd sure appreciate it if you'd hurry up. So, so back to, okay. So, but he, he, so he's going to keep going. He says, he says, in which there were few, only eight people, so this is Noah's family, who were brought safely through the water. Now here's the other part. Oh, so baptism saves. Because look at what he says. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Oh, let me rip that right out of context. Right now you have to be saved to be baptized. I don't, this is not a teaching on baptism. It's not about the thief on the cross. It's not, there's all kinds of scriptures that tell you why you don't have to be baptized to be saved. It doesn't even matter because right here he tells us why he's not talking about that. He's saying he brought them through the water. The water wasn't salvific. I'm talking about Noah's day or in the horse trough. The water was not salvific. It, did not, it does not save. It was judgment. The water was the judging part. What was the saving part in Noah's day? The ark. The water didn't save them. The boat did. Now, what is the boat a picture of? We, I taught on Genesis years ago. Jesus, one way of escape, right, through the judgment. I mean, there is so much about the ark that, is a, that, that God, even in how it was built, again, I don't have time to go through it all, it is a beautiful picture of Christ and the good news of the gospel. And that's what Peter is talking about. He's saying these people that Jesus preached to were the people in Noah's day. And he's saying, oh, by the way, that baptism is the baptism of repentance that comes from just believing that Jesus is who he says he is. That's what will get you through the flood. Right? It's, it's guys... I, People that believe in baptismal regeneration, that you have to be ba- I, I, would, I would love it if they would just say, okay, then, then why don't we just hold the people under the water? Hey, you're saved. Really, you're saved. Because the water is a picture of the judgment. Right? It's the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And if you've not been baptized, you need to be. I will just, and we'd love to have that happen here, and you need to let me know or let Jeff know or let one of the leaders know because it, 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 it is not necessary for salvation. It is necessary for obedience to Christ. 
If you're sitting here today and you profess faith in Jesus and you've not been baptized since you profess faith in Jesus, you are in disobedience to what Jesus told you to do. So just get right and get free. Okay, we got to land this plane. Um, okay, so we're talking about our last point, right? Are we living in the power? Are we living in the power of His grace? Let's finish it up, and I'm going to have the music team come up so we can go into our time of communion and just response. He says, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. I've already belabored that. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience, which only comes through, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Guys, you're, now back to you, you're kind of going, yeah, but wait a minute, that's a real, this whole Old Testament thing. Do you remember what God says about Abraham in Genesis 15? I just had to translate it in Hebrew so I know. And Abraham believed God. What did he believe about God? He believed Jesus. He believed the promise of Jesus. Abraham believed in the promise of Christ, and it was credited to him as righteousness. That's, that is what Peter is talking about here. And then he says, And he who has gone into heaven at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers having been subjected to him. He, it, is his, it is Peter's way of, of where Paul hits it over and over and over again. We prayed it. Audra prayed it, or read it and prayed it beautifully during our prayer time last week. It's, this whole, it's not just in Romans 8, but it's this idea of, in Romans 8 where he's, where, he's, where he's sitting there and he's talking about, like, I have become convinced, Paul, I've become convinced that neither death, nor life, nor principalities, nor things seen, nor things of this world, nor, nor, nor things of any... He's basically listing out everything. Nor height, nor depth, nor, nor anything anywhere in all of creation can what? Separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Peter is trying to drive this point home of going, guys, here is what it looks like to be a witness. That no matter what is going on in your life, can you? Stay, stand strong, because you know he's done what he said he's going to do. You know he's going to come back and do what he said he's going to do. And you have been forever changed for that. I'm just going to read part of Psalm 24, and the music team can start, and then we will um, take our time in um, response and in communion. David, the psalmist, writes this, Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates. Lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. Guys, you are completely and fully known and deeply deeply loved don't doubt it Father I just thank you for that and I thank you I thank you for the beauty of your word I thank you that it is living and active I thank you that it spoke in my study earlier in the week and it spoke this morning and I pray that it spoke even here in this place and Lord, I pray that what it would have spoken to us is how precious our salvation is. That we were once not a people, Peter tells us. But now we are the people of God. 
Let us embrace that. Man, if we would just embrace that. Let us look full into the face of Christ. And then let that make the things of this world grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. In Jesus' name.